I'm growing tired of all things Everybody says I should be I just want to be left alone To do whatever I please Welcome to the Different Functional Podcast. I am Ivy, the younger sister, and my fact of the day is that I really don't care at all when people mispronounce things or misspell them. Like, I don't care if you spell the name of my town wrong. I don't care if you spell my name wrong, if you pronounce it wrong. Like, you can call me Bertha. I don't even care. Doesn't even have to actually be my name. As long as you're looking at me and I know you're talking to me, I'm, I'm good. I'm golden. I can totally relate to that. I, I actually enjoy it when people misspell things a little bit. Because, I mean, it, it adds a whole new dimension. I know, like, one of the memes I saw yesterday was somebody bitching about when you confuse viscous and vicious. And they're like, it's very different. And I'm like, I know. And that's what makes it fun and entertaining. Because if you have a vicious murder <laughs> versus a viscous murder, those are two totally different mind pictures right there. And so I'm like, yeah, I enjoy the the little reality trip that comes from misspelling things personally. I like the idea of a vicious fluid. I want to know what that would be like. <laughs> I don't know, but it'd be really vicious, like stabby or something. Maybe alcohol or kale juice. Maybe alcohol and kale juice. I feel you mix those. That would be vicious. I don't know. I, I am just like imagining a fluid that turns into something with like teeth. Yeah, I just, I, I want to see a vicious fluid. I want to see a fluid just straight up turn into a Muppet with small dog teeth. That's what you I see want. what I mean, though? It's so much entertaining. More entertaining when people do misspell stuff. So yeah, I don't get the grammar Nazis either. And I am Autumn, the older sister, by the way, and I do not enjoy ASMR out of context. So for those of you that don't know, ASMR is it's YouTube and TikTok content, and they might have it on Instagram Reels, I don't know. But people take their microphone and they make all these little noises, like they rub fabrics on it and they tap it and they make weird little pop pop sounds with their face. And it was really, really disturbing to me. And I thought I just hated ASMR. And then I randomly somehow got on a YouTube video of it, but there was context and it was little pop noises in this, but it was like background noise and there was imagery to go with it. And then I was like, oh, I enjoy this. But when it's just some person tapping a microphone, it really creeps me out. I'm not sure why, but that lack of context, very bothersome. I got to admit, I don't enjoy ASMR at all with or without context. It all is kind of odd to me. And since a lot of it is audio based, uh, most of it, obviously audio based, and I'm so sensitive to things of an audio nature most of the sounds that people find soothing in ASMR, I'm like, this is not soothing to me. This is annoying to me. This is abrasive. This makes no sense to me. These are things I don't want to hear in my day-to-day -day life, and it's not helping me relax. I don't get the appeal of it. It's just not my thing. I know lots of people love it. Obviously, lots of people love it. There's entire YouTube channels and stuff dedicated completely to ASMR, but not not my thing. I don't enjoy well, it. I think part of it's it's really targeted a lot toward neurodivergent people. And I know a lot of neurodivergent people that love it. And I think part of the reason for that is when you're on that neurodivergent spectrum, within that spectrum is a sensory spectrum, I feel. And sometimes you're hypo or you're hypersensitive. And I feel that it's part of where you're at on that 
sensory spectrum within the neurodivergence. And I think you and I are both on the wrong end of that spectrum to really enjoy it or get anything out of it. So it ends up being triggering instead of soothing. All right. So a bit of business before we get into our episode for the day. So over the last few weeks, you may have noticed some issues with our sound quality, some glitchiness. We had a couple of episodes where we had to remove pretty big chunks of the audio. We had one episode that ended up being completely unusable. A lot of it has had to do with Autumn's slow internet. We have switched to a different recording program that will hopefully correct that. We are using that this time, but it's going to take a little bit of time for us to get it all sorted out. So if the sound quality is bugging the crap out of you, uh, we do apologize and we hope you'll stick with us while we get that sorted out. And hopefully over the next coming weeks, you will notice a definite improvement overall in sound quality. Ooh, ooh. And on that note, all right, that's the only business. I want to chime in on that yeah. note is that, you know, if, if you Go really enjoy us and the sound quality is bugging you, perhaps you could consider supporting us on Patreon so that we could invest that money directly into our audio content. <laughs> I, am not above, I am not above begging for this. So I just, I'm just going to throw that out there. Sound quality annoying. Patreon support would help resolve that. Huh? Huh? Yeah. Okay. Anyways, I'll let you go on now. <laughs> that was... That was very blatant begging. It is true, though, that that support would be beneficial to us. But regardless, we will be trying over time to improve our audio quality. Switching recording programs was the first step. I've also made some changes to my studio, as it were, my corner of the dining room in our apartment. I've tried to set it up with some some. Uh, you know, the acoustic foam and stuff like that. It's starting to look more fancy. We're going to get Autumn set up with that at some time, at some point too. So it is going to get increasingly better over time. So just stick with us while we're working out the kinks. I know it's been probably a little bit frustrating. Some of the editing that we have had to do has been significant. So hopefully, hopefully this new program is going to help things out quite a bit. But anyway, that is the extent of our business and the extent of our begging, although Autumn will probably beg again at the end of the episode, as she often does. But for now, getting into our topic for today, uh, you may have noticed from the title, we're going to be talking about some paranormal shit. Now, this definitely seems like a bit of a uh, divergence from our usual subject matter, but not with the way that we're going to be addressing it. So what got us thinking about this was, you know, if you listen to our episode a couple of weeks ago about split memories, and we talked about the day that we found out our parents got divorced, and we blind recorded our memories, and the only area that we matched up on where our memories were in line with each other almost to a T was an event that happened that night that both of us felt very strongly, very viscerally, and then it felt like it had a paranormal component to it. I was just kind of, I guess, dumbfounded that that was the only area where we matched up because the rest of the day, our memories were so drastically different. And as I thought about it more, I started remembering more paranormal experiences that I had as a child, things that I've also experienced as an adult. And I broached the the idea with Autumn of doing an episode about this because she's also had a lot of experiences with these sorts of things, but we're not full in on believing that all of these things are necessarily real. And this isn't actually a divergence from what we would normally be covering because we do both believe that there is a mental health component 
that is involved in this and a trauma component that is involved in this too. And I'll let Autumn go into a little bit more detail about that. But we're, we both believe there are certain things that we've experienced that maybe were real paranormal experiences. And then there's other things we don't believe were at all. And some things that we're on the fence about because we just don't know. No, and, and like Ivy said, I do think there is a, a strong connection between the mental health and the paranormal. And it's not the way you would traditionally think about it, because I think a lot of people you think, oh, paranormal and mental health, that's because you're psychotic or delusional or you have a break with reality. And there are aspects of that. But I also feel there are a lot of individuals out there that do not have disorders or diagnoses that would warrant these kinds of psychotic breaks that are just having mild depression that are neurodivergent that are bipolar and their behaviors and their manifestation of this disorder if you want to term it as that is not such that they would be having a psychotic break that they are paranoid that they are having delusions yet they're still seeing things they're still experiencing things outside of the realm and i've seen this in my childhood growing up around a lot of people that had mental struggles i've also seen this going to college with other people because a lot of people that seek psychology degrees or counseling degrees are in part screwed up themselves and they're trying to resolve that within them and so I saw a lot of that in my peers and I also even saw that a lot in the field where you'd have children or adults or adolescents that would express these ideas of believing in things that were outside of the norm. And I mean, you can look at it, like I said, from the one end that we're all just a bunch of crazy people and we're having psychotic delusions. But you can also look at it from the other end that potentially when you do have mental health struggles, especially if you come from a, a trauma background or a very different childhood background, one of the things you get is the ability to see beyond our cultural blinders on so many things. That's honestly why a lot of us have difficulty in society, because we see so much of the bullshit that society is and we see beyond that. And it's possible that we also see beyond the realm. We're seeing beyond just what we expect to see and we're more open to these experiences. And so Ivy and I want to explore this today and we'd love to have you chime in with your thoughts and ideas. You know, do you believe in this? Do you not? And get your thoughts on it as well, because like Ivy said, we're not all on the fence. Like all things, we believe there's a million different puzzle pieces to it. And so part of it is like, yeah, maybe this is paranormal. And part of it is like, well, maybe this is a trauma response. And part of it is like, well, maybe I'm just having a break with reality today. You know, there's so many factors. It's really hard to say. Yeah. So basically the structure of this episode today, we're going to be sharing our personal experiences and we're going to be throwing around some theories about what it could be, both paranormal and not. And then at the end of the episode, we're going to be giving our opinions of our personal experiences and whether or not we believe that they're real. But before we get too far into this episode, I do want to throw a disclaimer out there at the top, because if you saw paranormal as part of our title and you're thinking, cool, aliens and cryptids, you will not be hearing anything about extraterrestrials or Sasquatch on this episode because Autumn and I just don't have any experiences like that to share. All of the experiences that we are going to be sharing today are of a more nice spiritual sort or maybe even alternate realities, but neither of us really have any stories about aliens or cryptids to share today. So if that's what you were looking for, I'm sorry, we have nothing to well, give. Well, I, I can give them like little tidbits. There was a year 
uh, early adolescence that I was terrified of aliens. It came out of nowhere. Like I, I don't ever watch scary movies, so it's not like I watched a scary movie and now I'm scared of aliens. It was just randomly for an entire year. I was absolutely terrified of aliens. Like I was constantly watching the sky. I wouldn't even go out at night for whatever reason it was associated with night. It was it was really weird. And since I have a really good ability to block stuff, maybe I do have experience with aliens. And I just don't remember it. Now, cryptid, I'm not going to have any experience with that. I'm sorry. When I found out what it was today from Ivy and I was like, well, you know, what is that? It's like Bigfoot and Chupacabras and all that. I'm like, oh, yeah, hell no. Unless they actually kidnap me and take me back to their cave and slap me around, I'm not going to have experience because that would require you to like actually be aware of what's going on around you and see things in your environment, which is not my strong suit. I don't have any feelings about extraterrestrials one way or the other. Uh, I've not had any experiences. I'm pretty neutral about them. I've been around lots of people who are terrified of them, but that has not rubbed off on me. If they're there, they're not bothering me as far as I know. So I'm cool. And as far as cryptids go, like even though I live in the Pacific Northwest and Calvin and I go camping into some crazy off-road trails where we're literally in the middle of the woods in complete darkness away from other human beings, haven't experienced anything. I'm not looking for it, but I, I have not experienced it, even though I am in Sasquatch Central here. So again, sorry if that's what you were hoping for from this episode, but we will now start getting into our actual content of the episodes. So we'll start sharing some of our personal experiences. And we're going to start out with strange feelings and senses and things that we had. One of the, the things that we've talked about quite a bit over the years between us is both of us at different points wondered if it was possible that our mom may have been possessed. And I know that sounds crazy or just like overly religious or whatever. And we did grow up in a religious household, so I'm sure that that did contribute to some of our ideas but there were times with, with my mom, and she she was very mentally ill for most of my childhood, and she did use substances for a good chunk of my childhood as well. But there were just times when she was so different and altered and bizarre in her behavior or her speech that I really was terrified of my mother because I really did believe that there were times when she was possessed, that... There was something that would come in and out of her. There would be times in the middle of the night where my mom, she would start just like spewing obscenities in this voice that was not hers and her body would be contorting in all kinds of different ways. There would be times even when she was wide awake and since I often was a scapegoat for her, she would come and confront me about one thing or another. And I would just be so terrified in her presence because there was something about her that did not feel human. And there was something in her eyes that was just, it felt so evil to me and it did not feel like my mom. And it's not like mom was like that all the time. Cause I mean, Autumn remembers this that most of the time with mom and her mental illness and her substance use, she just slept a lot. She wasn't particularly violent. She wasn't particularly aggressive. If anything, she tended to be more passive aggressive most of the time, but she would have these bursts of violence and aggression that just came out of nowhere. And I think that was the big thing is that they came out of nowhere. There didn't appear to be any triggers. She would just be 
sleeping, passed out, and then she would be violent and acting in a way completely different to her. Again, you know, you do question, you know, is is this possession? Are we just small children terrified? And so we're creating these ideas. But you do have to wonder because she was inebriated. She was on alcohol and she was on prescription painkillers. She was abusing those. And she was not, she was not in herself a lot of the time. She was absent. And I think that was the other thing too that got me really thinking about possession is there are a lot of times she just seemed empty. Like my mother was not there. Another spirit was not there. Nobody was home. She was just empty. I was just going to say, I totally agree with you. There were there was a lot of time where she just seemed like a hollow shell, like there was nothing going on in there. She was an empty vessel. Exactly. And, and I really believe in balance and I believe there are certain, I guess, overarching principles in life and the universe and science or however you want to term it. But I do feel that when there is a void, something will fill that void. And if you choose to believe in spirits, why why wouldn't it have been a spirit? How is that not possible in my mind? And so I do wonder about possession. And, you know, one of the things that really makes me wonder about it is because they're the dark years is what Ivy calls them. And they started shortly after she was born. And there's a lot of factors. Our father moved us to an isolated area and cut us off from all, you know, friends and support. Um, Mom was going through serious postpartum depression. There's a lot of stuff going on. But one of the things that happened that really set off those dark years was we were living in a house. And this was a few months before and during the time that Ivy was born. So she's not going to have any memories of this house, but it was an old farmhouse and it was a creepy fucking house. I I remember I was around six or seven, just, it was really terrifying. One of the things that made it terrifying, and maybe this is part of what's adding to the story of possession and spirits in my mind, is our father, because he did not have any boundaries as a psychologist, invited one of his patients to live in the house with us. And this client came from a satanic cult. Um, This was during the satanic panic time in the late 1980s. And I'm not going to demean anybody's religious practices. I'm just going to say this individual's family unit, I'm not saying it's representative of anything, but this particular individual's family unit practiced this through extreme abuse. There were ceremonies where multiple people would rape her. There was extreme physical violence. And this happened throughout the the child's entire life. And so now she's, I believe, a young adult and she's living in our house trying to escape all of this. And there was very much this mentality that everybody in this house had that because when you are religious, I mean, even if you're just Christian, you've got to believe in the other side, in spirits. If there's good and angels, then there's the devil and demons. And so there was this definite just almost knowledge in the house that these doors were open, that these things knew where she was, that they were attached to her. And that's frightening enough as a six-year-old kid. But then shit got real, I guess you could say, in the house. So it had been fine. We had a little playroom. I enjoyed it. There's my little room. And then all of a sudden it got where if you shut the doors to the stairwell, because it was an older house and there was this weird thing where you could shut the top stairwell door and a bottom stairwell door and it'd isolate the stairwell. When you did that, you could hear someone walking up and down the stairs and there was nobody there. Like you'd open it up and it would suddenly stop and there's no one there. And then there, we also had a playroom upstairs. A lot of this was concentrated upstairs. I didn't know why. We had a playroom upstairs and the lights would flicker on and off. 
the TV would randomly turn itself back on. I guess maybe it could be electrical issues. I'm not sure how that works. I don't know much about electrical and wiring and housing, but we would turn everything off for the night and then we'd go back in and just the play system that we had was turned on or just the TV would be turned on even though they were in the same outlet. It was just really, really weird. And stuff would be moved to locations that it shouldn't be in. Mom actually talked about this later in life. I wasn't there when she experienced it, but she related that she was in the kitchen in that house and she heard growling, like deep guttural growling, terrified the shit out of her. Um, She still remembered it with visceral reactions years later. And it got so bad to the point that my brother and I were no longer allowed to sleep upstairs. We were now required to sleep on the bottom floor in like an old office on the floor. And we didn't care. We were happy with this. You know, our mom has us sleeping on the floor and we're like, no, that's fine. And mom was like, no, this is fine. Because it felt spiritually safer to be down there than it did being upstairs. And so part of me does wonder, is this something that started coming about during that time? Did the dark years start in part because we opened ourselves up as a family unit to spirits that were malevolent, to spirits that encouraged violence. That even carried over into the house that Ivy and I grew up with. There were a couple of houses in between. None of them lasted very long. And then we got to the house that Ivy and I grew up in Missouri, and that place was fucking creepy too. Yeah, you know, I've often wondered that if the dark years started during that period of time, because mom did tell me a few stories about that house, and she did seem like she was very terrified of that house. And if you believe this kind of thing, if you believe in the possibility of possession and spirits and demonic entities and things like that, if mom was going to be possessed, I could see that being a time when she could have been because she was exceptionally vulnerable during that period of time. Because for a few years before I was born, she'd been trying to get pregnant and she kept having miscarriage after miscarriage. And that was incredibly difficult for her with her mental health and her hormones. It just threw everything off. And then I was a high risk pregnancy all the way through for her. And then she had a two-year period after I was born where she had severe debilitating postpartum depression where she was barely functional at all. So if you believe in the possibility of, de- of possession, yeah, I think it's possible that that might have been a time that something could have attached to her or entered into her. And yeah, the pattern of creepy places that we ended up being definitely seemed to continue because like Anna said, the house that, that I grew up in was a very creepy house. Like even structurally, I felt that house was creepy as hell. I just remember having like bad vibes about whoever it was that built it. I didn't know the guy. I never met the guy. I just had creepy vibes about it from a young age. Something was just off about that house from just even the way that it was built. The house was built into the side of a hill. So the entire back half of the house, which is where our bedroom was, was underground. So there was no light in the back of the house at all all that was not artificial light there was no windows except for on the very front face of the house the furnace was in our bedroom in just basically a hole in the wall that had no door over it there was a giant ass hole in our ceiling that went up into the attic that house was just weird i know one of the most common things that i experienced in that house was in our living room back behind where all of the couches and chairs and stuff were was my mom's piano 
And that piano would play by itself. And I know that sounds insane, but I would hear the piano playing by itself. I was always too scared to look. So I don't know if the keys were moving, but I would hear that piano playing. I experienced that multiple times. There was also an experience in that house where we had a lot of animals and one of the cats that we had had kittens and then trigger warning because this is pretty traumatic and awful it, it especially was for me as a child but that cat ended up eating her kittens that was in a room that was in our garage and i actually discovered some of the bodies of the kittens and then after that time a lot of times if i would go into the garage i would hear the sounds of like kittens meowing so i really tried to avoid going into the garage by myself because i was really scared the garage was the weirdest for me it was just this this really dark place and i know you said there was no lights anywhere in our in our room because our room was underground that's technically not true though because there was the creepy light from nowhere that emanated in the closet so, you know, there was that at least. I don't know if you remember that. And I, I didn't see that because the way that my bed was positioned, I couldn't see most of the closet. The only part of our closet, because our closet didn't have a door either. <laughs> the only part of our closet that I could see was the big ass fucking hole into the attic that terrified me. Because I'd been in the attic before with our father a couple of times and the attic scared me too, which I mean, that I don't think it, there's anything really to that. I think that's just little kids being afraid of dark spaces and the attic was dark and it smelled weird and there was fiberglass insulation everywhere. And it was, yeah, it was just not, not a fun time. Yeah, I, I don't remember that. I don't remember a lot of our childhood though, but I do remember the creepy light. And for the longest time, because it was a gas furnace, I thought it was a reflection because the furnace was directly across from the closet. And so I thought, okay, maybe it's just the light of the furnace that somehow is just on the top shelf of the closet and lighting up no other area of the closet. But then for whatever reason, the furnace, the furnace went bad or got shut down. And so the pilot light was eliminated and the gas was shut off and there was no light in there. And we still had a light in the closet. And so that was, I didn't, I didn't appreciate that. I feel like it didn't just stop with the house. Like, I feel like our father was drawn towards a lot of maybe our family. I'm not sure. Very creepy areas. He had a an office in a medical building. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. I remember that office all too well because I there were lots of times when I was really little that I went to work with our father just to tag along. It was an old hospital on the top of a hill, kind of tucked back away from a lot of things. Like even from the outside, it had creepy vibes. It was like this old, big brick building. I would say probably early 1900s, late 1800s, something like that. And that, that building was just so creepy. And then you would go inside in the basement in particular of that building was really creepy. There was like old like operating tables and medical equipment and old bottles of medication and I think our father had told me at one point that a secretary of his freaked out once because she was in the receptionist area and a bicycle just wheeled past it slowly out of nowhere. No person, nothing, just a bicycle from downstairs in the basement just wheeled across the floor in front of her. I don't know if that's true. That's what he had told me, but that building was creepy and I hated going into the basement. I wouldn't even go down into the basement most of the time, even if our father was with me, because I was so afraid of that building. And he, 
he was attracted to a lot of dark and creepy kinds of things. And that's not just our observations of him. That's also something that I've been told by other members of his family. And then even by himself growing up, he read just lots of horror books. His favorite actor was Vincent Price. His first vehicle was a hearse. Like he was really drawn to dark things from a young age. And I feel like he just had this magnetism towards creepy places. Like they drew him in somehow. That's what it always felt like to me. I think that's also a theme that I've heard heated from other individuals that come from abusive homes where the abusive parent, the the ruling one, is is drawn towards these kind of dark areas. And I'm not sure if it's, you know, so much that they are drawn towards that or if it's also that they're perpetuating it as a means of instilling fear into the children and the other people in the household to control them. Usually when I hear this, it's people that are intentionally setting up dynamics so that they can be abusive and in control. And it's a theme I've heard a lot that they try to almost use this darkness and draw this sort of in almost in two ways. One, as a source of power for them. And then two, as a way to scare and, and get everybody else in line because they are terrified. But the thing is, though, that this doesn't just stop when when you leave these abusive environments. Because the thing is, Ivy and I both have experiences with creepy areas or haunted areas, however you want to term it, into adulthood when we're not in acute in acute crisis or acute trauma. I think one of, and I am sorry if this offends anybody that lives there or loves this area, but Sand Springs, Oklahoma. The reason why either of us knows anything about Sand Springs is that I ended up living with who I consider to be my adoptive father, and he still has that house in Sand Springs. And that area that he lived in, it was definitely more tucked back in the countryside. It was out of town. It had some creepy vibes. There were certain areas on the roads leading out to his house that I would drive down very quickly because I was just uncomfortable with that spot and I would try to get through it as quickly as possible. Certain things about the property, certain things about the the house. And this was not an old house. It was a, a modular home that they had put there. So it's not like an old house that has creepy energy. It was more It was more like the property. And I feel like even the area that Autumn and I grew up in, in the Ozarks, has lots of pockets of just creepy energy. Like, I definitely believe that there are a lot of places that just have a weird, dark energy to them, whether it's the entire area or it's just little pockets within that area. But I know Autumn has a very specific place that was creepy for her in Tulsa. Yeah, I I also did have that house in Tulsa. And It was a rental and it was a really weird place. So for example, all of the closets had external locks on them where you could have locked somebody into the closet. And there were definitely things in that house. You would hear echoing from the oven and it wasn't a gas oven. It was like an electric oven. So I don't think it was pipes or anything like that. They definitely felt as though there was something in the garage. I swear to God, and I know you're going to call me insane for this, 
there was a ghost German Shepherd. I, I get I get how crazy that sounds, but I swear to God, there was a ghost German Shepherd that hung out in one of the back bedrooms. I have no idea why. And there was just all sorts of stuff, you know, creeper spirits, which we'll talk about here in a little bit, just these negative feelings. It was, yeah. And the crazy thing about this house too was if you went outside into the backyard, all of these feelings went away. It was totally fine. You stepped into the house. It was crazy. And the roommate that I was actually living with, he was going to, the very first night, he was like, you know, I'll just move my stuff in. I've got to work. I'll just sleep on the floor. It'll be fine. And he's not a scared person. He's not really even in touch with the darkness or spiritual world. He was terrified out of his mind to sleep there during the day by himself. It was just a really weird place. And these are all feelings I'm feeling during what should be a stable time in my life. So I could get discounting, oh, my childhood house was haunted, you know, because bad things were going on and my parents were scary. But why do I feel this way about a house during a relatively peaceful time in my life? I hate rentals for that reason, because the rental's not yours. And your voice of ownership in that area is always somewhat limited. And the things there knew that they're like, no, this this is ours. You're living here on our permission. And that's always what it felt like. And I came to an agreement with them and we coexisted for the time we were there. And oddly, though, you know, out of all the creepy things, the, the German shepherd did not feel creepy. The ghost German shepherd actually felt really benign and cool, like he just wanted to hang out, which, again, really weird makes me feel insane about it because it'd be one thing I was like a scary Cujo dog. No, it just felt like a cool dog that was just chilling. I'm not saying that you're crazy. I'm sure there are lots of people out there who think who are going to think that both of us are crazy by the end of this episode. But there is something about like ghost animals that sounds crazier than human ghosts. And I don't know why. I know. I know. Because that's that's, that's how I feel about it. It does seem like that much more insane, especially if it's not like taking a form to terrorize me or taking a form to protect me. It's just there. And it's the only one I have ever encountered. It's the only spiritual entity I've encountered an animal form that's not like a spirit guide. It, that, that's just its own entity hanging out. It, I can't tell you if it was a German Shepherd. I mean, if you want to believe in spirits, maybe it was a human deciding to take a German Shepherd. Maybe it's, I don't know what it was. And that's why I say like that, out of everything I've experienced, the ghost German Shepherd makes me doubt my sanity the most. It, it, that is a weird thing where it's like, if you're going to believe in ghosts, which I'm, you know, whatever, we'll talk about that later. But if you're going to believe in ghosts, it would stand to reason that there would probably be animal ghosts too. Anyway, we'll move on from that. We'll get back to that later. But we're going to start talking now about things that we have you know, gone a, a step beyond feeling and into seeing. So we're, we're going to start out with some I don't know, kind of like dream-like experiences, bedtime experiences, those kinds of things. And I'll let Autumn start that one. The freakiest dream experience I've had, it was at my first, my first husband's place before we were married. And he gets up at like, I don't know, three in the morning. He was military. He got up way ridiculously early. So obviously I'm still in the bedroom sleeping. I wake up, can't move. At the end of my bed, somebody is standing over it. I finally am able to start moving. I scream my head off. The, my uh, spouse, not your spouse, fiance, I guess at the time, comes running in ready to murder something. And I'm just in there looking like an idiot because whatever it is disappeared. But I swear to God, could see something human-shaped standing, looming over the end of the bed. I think that's probably the creepiest dream experience I've had. 
Okay, so I'm going to ask you a question about that because that sounds an awful lot like a fairly common thing that people experience, which is like sleep paralysis type stuff. And lots of people report seeing things standing by their bed or even being on top of them. I know you said it was like human shaped, but was there any other detail that you could make out about it? Other than it was just shaped like a human? Just human shaped, black silhouette. It was a dark room. And so I don't ever, I've never seen well in the dark. And so even if it had had details, I wouldn't have been able to make it out. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I was just curious because there are so many reports of people who have experienced similar things. And like there's been entire documentaries done about that. There's been studies done about that. And that is one of those, those things I think were culturally that the jury is still out and it's kind of a controversial thing. So it's like, is it just tricks that your brain is playing on you? Or is there something paranormal about it? If it's just tricks your brain is playing on you, why do so many people experience such similar things? Because that human shape, that silhouette of a human, whether people think of it as like shadow people is a term that I've heard. Some people report seeing a shadow that is wearing... That's wearing a hat, basically. So you see like the shape yes. of the hat. The yes, hat mine was wearing a hat. He had like, uh, you know, if you'd think of like uh, somebody in Maine that was a fisherman with the yellow wetsuit with the yellow fisherman hat. That's what he was wearing. So you saw a hat man version of of this the shadowy type figure. That's a really common one that people experience with sleep paralysis. To me, I think the jury is still out because it's like, could your brain just be playing a trick on you in a hat? awake half sleep state yeah absolutely that's definitely possible could it be something paranormal i'm gonna leave myself open to that possibility if it is just our our brains playing tricks on us how do so many people have that experience and have it be almost identical to the point where these entities have names based on their appearances, you know, shadow people where you're just seeing a silhouette. You're not even seeing a fully formed person or the hat man where you're seeing a shadowy figure that is specifically wearing a hat. Why a hat? That's so weird. So now that we've, we've covered that experience of autumns, I'm going to share an experience of mine that is not a hat man, not a shadow, but this did happen to me upon waking up. I'm going to preface this by saying that this was a period of time in my life where I was processing a lot of trauma. I was, I think, 19, 20 years old, something like that. I was living in my first apartment. It was the first time I was living by myself. I was processing a lot of trauma from my childhood. It had not been all that long before that that I'd gone through some therapy. I was also sick all the time in this apartment, just like physically not feeling well. There was a black mold issue in that apartment. So there's lots of things that are going on here. But I had a lot of weird experiences in that apartment. Uh, It was the only time in my life that I have ever had an issue with sleepwalking. I would, on multiple occasions, I would go to bed, I'd wake up laying on on the shower floor, no recollection of how I got there. And it was just, I had a lot of weird experiences at night and falling asleep and being asleep and things that would happen when I would wake up. I was having nightmares. I was having night terrors. I was having all sorts of stuff like that happen. The most terrifying thing that I had happen was I woke up once from a nightmare. And this was not a sleep paralysis situation. I was fully capable of moving. My eyes were open. I was capable of moving. And 
I remember trying so hard to just get myself out of my bed. I was like backing up against the wall. I was trying to get out of my bed because when I woke up in the doorway of my bedroom, and I always kept my bedroom door closed. I do to this day. I do not like sleeping with open doors. So I had closed the, the bedroom door before I went to bed. The bedroom door was wide open and standing in the doorway was something that had taken on the appearance of my father. And he was staring at me and laughing. And when I looked down at the bed, the bed was covered in snakes. That is one of the most terrifying experiences I have ever had. But again, that could be any number of things. Yeah, it wasn't sleep paralysis. I was able to move, but I was having a lot of nightmares. I was having a lot of night terrors during that time. I was sleepwalking. There was black mold in my apartment. I was processing all this trauma. It could have been any number of, of things, but I'm telling you, it felt real, very, very real in that moment. When it comes to bed, one of the things I've seen too, and I, I, <laughs> I, I've cut myself off from this for the longest time. Um, I, Ivy, when we were talking about these notes, she was like, yeah, you remember you told me that you saw this lady walking in our yard and you were like, nope, I don't want to do that. Well, I don't even remember that. So apparently I noped it real good and I've been cutting myself off for a long time. And the stuff was still like in the corner of my eye, peripheral vision, but I had to get back in touch with it, so to speak, when I started seeing, and I call them bodaks. I, I call them that because that's what I saw them a few years later when I saw the movie Odd Thomas, that's what they look like. And Ivy, when I explained them to him, she's like, oh, like those things from Constantine. And I was like, yes, like the things from Constantine. They are, I don't know what, they look like non-human entities, they were crawling all over the ceiling of where I live. And the creepy part isn't so much what they look like. It's how they move. It's all angles and sinuous, but not. And unless you've seen them, I mean, the way they're portrayed in Odd Thomas is the closest I've seen. But they, they creep me out. I do not like them. And I, I'm not the only one that's seen them. Ivy and I had not talked about this the Bodaks or the Gremlins or however you want to term them before this. And we were trying to come up with all these experiences and I was explaining them and she's like, oh yeah, those. Oh yeah, that's a thing. Did you see those things upon, because I know you said it was like in your bedroom on the ceiling. Did you see those things upon waking or were you like fully awake already when you saw them? Because like my experience is I was definitely fully awake because they hung out in my bathroom in one of my apartments in the shower. Um, when they were there for the few days before I was able to take measures to deal with them I was awake I had not gone to sleep yet they were just there you would go okay. into the bedroom and they were there you'd turn off the lights and they were that much more obvious and again I know it sounds woo woo or whatever but it's like they're drawn to the darkness and the darkness almost strengthened them and so they were there all the time you could feel their presence you turn the lights off and I could see them which is really disconcerting and you could see them and I was fully awake and you just had to lay there with them as you tried to go to sleep. So there was no sleep involved with those guys. Yeah, and if if you don't know what we're talking about in terms of, of appearances, there'll be a link in the show notes that you can click that'll take you to our resources page for this episode. So you will have some pictures on there from Odd Thomas and then also from the movie Constantine to give you an idea of what kinds of things it is that, that we both have seen. 
And it's the things I remember most from the creature that I saw, because there was only one that I have experienced that I have seen only the one. And it was in one apartment that I had, and it was only in the bathroom. And I mostly would, would experience stuff with it when I was in the shower. I would feel its presence or I would hear things and then I would pull back the shower curtain and I would see something there for just like a few seconds and then it would dart out of the room. And I know, sounds completely fucking insane and sure, I might be completely delusional. But what I remember most about these things is they are, they would be capable of being just on two legs, but they walk around their their hands as well. They're always crouched over. So they're walking on both their feet and on their hands. They're very, like Autumn said, angular. And the the thing that creeps me out the most about it is that the, the face looks very just creature-like and not all of the head is there. That was when I first saw the movie Constantine. And I saw the movie Constantine after I had experienced this creature. That movie creeped me out so much. I love that movie, but it creeped me out so much because there's these creatures in the movie Constantine that look like this, where they're, you know, they're really angular and they're walking on their, their hands as well as their feet. And the top of the head is gone, just completely gone. And there's just this yucky anatomical gunk in the lower part of the head and then this weird jaw with a mouth and it's just creepy. But I did not see the movie Constantine until after I had seen that thing in my apartment and I had multiple encounters with it, but I've never experienced that again after I left that apartment. See, that was a weird thing to me too, is I've only seen them on the ceiling of that one particular trailer, which is really weird because I'd lived in that trailer before and it had been fine. And then I was back in there and then it wasn't fine. And the, the more frightening thing to that to me again is one, they got verified by general media after the fact of seeing them. And then two, even before that movie, you know, it was even in my awareness, I was talking about them with a friend of mine who was a counselor. And I was trying to explain how they were all angular and dark and giving them a description and how they moved. And she was, oh, yes, gremlins. Again, just like you had like, oh, yes, that's a thing. And there's been a couple other times since then, even, you know, after I've seen them, and I've kind of got a word for them and people are like, oh, yes, those I'm not the only one that's seen them. And she was like, oh, yeah, they're they're usually associated with very dark trauma. When there's a lot of very violent trauma, you get those. And I'm just like, oh, okay, great. I don't know why they suddenly appeared there. I don't know why I haven't seen them again. But the thing that frightens me the most about them, beyond their just nature, which is wrong, it, it just when you're around them, it's just wrong somehow, is that other people verify them independently without having seen the media or without having seen those movies. They just know they've seen them themselves and you start describing them and people are like, oh yeah, those, like, it's just a thing. Like you're like, oh, you know, it's that animal that's got the four legs and it has the horns coming off and the hunters hunt it and like, oh yeah, deer. It's just like that. Like, it's just like, oh yeah, that thing. I totally know what you're talking about, which makes me feel not crazy, but also validated. And I don't know that I want to be validated in those things existence. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I think another interesting point on on these particular entities is, and I didn't know this before Autumn and I started comparing notes on this stuff for this episode, but we were trying to like bring up 
different pictures so that we could show each other, like, is this what you're talking about? Oh yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And what I started noticing as I was looking up more things is that this is not just something of the modern era. These types of creatures have appeared in different cultures in their myths and their legends and shit like that for a very, very long time. So it's not just validation from the modern era of these types of creatures. It is something that's gone back quite a ways. Now, of course, is it possible that that could mean that there's like some sort of subliminal messaging type stuff that we're not even aware of that's feeding into this and creating this stuff is another trick that our minds play because there's certain images or visuals that are scary to us at a deep, visceral, biological, survival-type level. Yeah, that's entirely possible, and that maybe that is why this stuff has existed for such a long time across different cultures throughout, throughout history. But again, if you're going to open yourself to the possibility of paranormal things existing, what if these creatures are real things in some way, shape, or form? What if they are some sort of manifestation of energy or some sort of demonic creature or, you know, whatever terminology that you want to give to it? It's an interesting and unsettling thing to consider. Could it all be bullshit? Yeah. But could it be real? Who knows? You can't prove it. You can't disprove it. Also interesting. I've never heard them described by others. I've not read into the cultural history of them, so I don't know about those stories, but even like God Thomas and stuff, they're usually not attempting to attack or destroy. It's more like they're there because of the negativity, the energy and the stink and the ick is there. And so they're there, but it's not like they're creating it. And I think that's also another weird, just random, very specific point, because a lot of times when you get those cultural boogeyman, they're attacking you, they're a threat to you or your family. And for the most part, these things aren't a threat, they're a presence, if that that differentiation makes sense. Yeah, that's interesting, because I honestly did not think about that. And again, we haven't looked at the cultural mythology and stuff like that, that that goes along with that. But definitely the experience I had with that thing, I did not feel like I was in danger from it. It was just creepy because I was in the shower and vulnerable and it was just standing there very voyeuristically just being there and making things feel dark and heavy and scary. But it didn't, I didn't feel like it was going to attack me at any point. I was just disturbed by its presence because that's what it is. It's just a presence it is it is just a presence but then there are things that i've seen that i feel are i mean to use the word malevolent they are intending to to do you harm or to fuck with you or to somehow hurt you or take from you i do think there are also malevolent things out there you had an experience ivy that you were going to talk about i think it was actually in sand springs wasn't it yeah yeah, it did. It started in Sand Springs, but it actually followed me out of the state, which is the only time that I have encountered anything that followed me out of a particular area or out of a particular house. So as I mentioned before, that house in Sand Springs, the roads that would lead to it, and it was every road that led to it had at least one spot on it that I would zoom past because I just want to get through it as quickly as possible. But there was one particular road. It was a straight shot for a few miles from his house to the highway. And right before you would get to the highway, there was just this one patch of road and there were some woods 
off to both sides. And it was the only patch of road that had this vibe. Every single time I would drive through that spot, I was certain that somebody was going to dart out in front of the car. And then there was a period of time where I not only had the feeling something was somebody was going to dart out in front of the car, but I started seeing on the side of the road, always on the same side of the road, a woman dressed in white. She was this blonde woman with really curly hair, and she would just be standing there on the side of the road. And every single time, like I said, prior to that, I was I was certain somebody was going to dart in front of the car. And then once I started seeing her, I was even more certain somebody was going to dart out in front of the car. She never did. But over time, she got closer and closer to me until the point where like she became attached to me and she was able to follow me around. And at first, I really just left myself open to the possibility that yeah, I am completely fucking crazy and this is some sort of hallucinate uh, hallucination some delusion that i'm having but a friend of mine i was taking her out to the house one time with me to pick up to pick something up and we got to that spot in the road and this same being that i had been seeing that i'd had these experiences with for years she saw her too and then both of us over the coming months started having experiences with this, with this being that presented as a woman showing up in our dreams, showing up at our houses, shit like that. And yeah, I know maybe just a shared delusion or whatever. I know I got to leave myself open to that possibility, but it was so strange because I didn't mention it to her. I didn't tell her about it at all because I didn't tell anybody about it because I was, I feel crazy. There's no way this could possibly be real. This has to be some sort of hallucination that I'm having. So I didn't say jack shit to her, but she saw this being herself. And then she started having experiences with it too. And then even when I moved away, when I moved from Oklahoma to Washington, it followed me all the way here. It doesn't, it's not there anymore, but I, I had a series of experiences with it and I'm not sure... I keep saying being because I don't think, I don't know, but I don't think it was a ghost. It felt malevolent and it did not feel human. There would be a lot of times I would wake up from a dead sleep and find this being standing by my bed or sitting on the side of my bed. And it looked at first glance, very human. In fact, even very attractive until it would smile and then the grin was like Cheshire cat kind of exaggerated and the teeth were disgusting. There were some of them that were broken off. They were, they were rotting. It was just so weird because at first glance, it appeared to be human. I didn't have the sense that it ever was, but it gave that appearance except for when it would smile. And then the last experience that I ever had with it was after I had moved to Washington, I'd been here for... I don't know, maybe a few years by that point. And I hadn't seen her in a while. And one night I woke up and she was sitting at the foot of my bed, looking into a full length mirror. And when I woke up, she turned to me and she just kind of looked at me and she smiled, but not that big grin with the rotted out teeth. She just kind of smiled, kind of resignation. It was like a small smile and just kind of a, hmm all right, well, I guess I'm leaving now. And then she disappeared and I've never seen her again. Could I be completely crazy? Absolutely. I don't know, but it was definitely unnerving. 
That is very unnerving. And I'm going to give an, an example of one that I had, a very specific one, especially since it's in the seeing categories, because it's one of the most clearest visions I've ever seen of something. And it was a little girl. And you say you don't know if it's human or not. I have no idea on this. This one looked very human. What was interesting to me with this one is this little girl was attached to a partner of mine. So we had just recently started getting into a romantic relationship and it was getting serious and we had moved in together. And I noticed this little girl was practically following him around, was always there and seemed to be drawing from him. And what was interesting to me at the time was this partner had been depressed most of his, his his adolescence, most of his life was currently in a very significant depression. And he didn't see anything. He doesn't, he's not in touch with the spiritual world like that. And so he's open enough to be like, okay, tell me anything's possible. And I was like, well, there is a little girl and I am concerned about her. Um, she's just there staring. And he interrupted me and started to describe her down to a T. And I'm like, you said, you can't see these things. And he said, I don't. I've dreamt about her. I have dreams of her and I can't move. I'm just sitting there dreaming of her and I feel completely paralyzed and like I can't breathe. And then eventually I wake up and I was like, that is, that's not, that's not good. <laughs> and the crazy thing is I, I took those the things I needed to do and I set my intent and I set the boundaries and I broke that connection between between my partner and this little girl. And I banished her essentially from the house. And that was, you know, the extent of where I could banish her from. I'm not like that amazing. I'm going to banish you next to the other regions or whatever, but I can protect a space. And that's what I did. She didn't like that. Months after she was in the yard, just staring in, just stewing, just this little girl with this long black hair. And the, it, the interesting thing with this too is after we did the banishment, and I'm sure there's a lot of other changes and other things going on, the depression that he had been experiencing for years started to alleviate. That was really interesting to me. And again, I say that's part of where that intersection comes in of mental illness and mental health struggles, as well as the paranormal, because it really felt to me and it felt to him as though he was, she was drawing his energy, taking it from him. All those emotions were just, she was feasting on them and encouraging that depression because it's what she was feeding on. And she was so angry. And I was, I actually had a couple Know, talisman symbols, whatever that I would carry with me during that time, because she was so pissed and she was in the yard and I felt like she was going to attack me for having taken away her food source. I've had some other experiences with malevolent forces. I've not seen them. I don't like them because I don't know if it's something about me. I don't know if it's something about how I act or my weaknesses or vulnerabilities. But when these things show up with me, they want to tango. They feel like they are trying to start shit. They come in and they push my boundaries and they push against my boundaries and they are almost like threatening to me or my environment or the people around me. And it's not necessarily like they want specifically to threaten me. It's like they want to start shit. And I hate that because it takes so much power and energy for me with all the other shit I have to deal with, which is why I cut myself off for so long. It's not necessarily that I'm scared. It's more, I have other shit I need to do. I don't want to deal with this right now. But now I have to deal with it because it was causing issues or is causing issues. And they, they want to start shit. Do you feel like any of that 
has to do with boundaries for you, like having loose boundaries. For huge portions of portions of our childhood, you you basically were not allowed to really have boundaries. You were kind of property of the household in a sense. Uh, I know that's like a fucked up way to put it, but that's the best way I can think of it. It's like you weren't really allowed to have your own identity and you weren't really allowed to have boundaries. So do you think some of that factors into that possibly for why they come after you so strongly? I think it's part of it in a reverse sort of way, because I think when you have those loose boundaries or you allow yourself to be used and your energy to be taken by anybody, it does draw those things. I do believe that. And I think that's part of why that little girl was attached to him. And I, I am at my core one of those people that if I open up, you have the ability to use me. It's why I am an enabler. I will give and give and give until I am dead. And I think they know that. And I think part of the reason they want to start shit is because I've had to go the opposite, both in real life and spiritual life, if you want to call it that, of having extreme aggressive boundaries because assertive boundaries are not enough to protect me because of who I am. I have to set out such aggressive boundaries. So it's not just a, you cannot be here. It's a, you better not fucking show your face here type boundary, if that makes sense. And I think they are drawn towards the reality of who I am. And then they see that push and they want to push back. I think, I don't know for sure. Like I said, it's all, it's all woo woo. So I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean, if any of this is even real at all, I also kind of wonder not that people would know it from listening to this podcast because for some reason on the podcast, it's like flipped from usual. I've been very emotional in several of the episodes on this podcast, but that is not how I usually am. If anything, I am very cut off from my emotions and very cut off from my body. But Autumn is not. She's always been very in touch with her body, very in touch with her emotions, feels things very strongly, can't not experience emotions very strongly. And If any of this stuff is real, one of the prevailing theories about these kinds of spiritual entities is that they do feed off of big emotions, intense emotions. So they try to provoke these strong feelings in people so that they can get an energy source. And so I kind of wonder if that might be another part of the reason why you have such confrontational sorts of experiences with these beings, because that's that has not been my experience. Uh, For me, it has mostly been... I would say voyeuristic in nature and kind of curious. I don't really have to try that hard with most of these beings. And I'm mostly cool with coexisting with almost everything, as long as they don't intrude upon me or somebody that I care about. But I've never really had to like stand my ground and fight. It's more like, yeah, I'm cool with us just existing in the same thing. If you fuck with me or my loved one, you're going to have to go. And then if I do have to banish them, I'm like, yeah, you you just have to go now. And I don't really have a whole lot of difficulty. I don't feel like I've had to really fight tooth and nail. I've had lots of experiences with lots of different types of things over the years, but I've just not had like, direct confrontations, I guess, for the most part. Yeah, I mean, that could be because you're not very much an emotional person. And I just am. I go around bleeding emotion all the time it's just what I do honestly it's part of why (laughs) it's part of why I'm in the relationship I'm in Um, my current partner Jake 
he's not a highly emotional person. He doesn't have a lot of those peaks. And that's part of honestly why he's with me. And I've even discussed this, you know, before, and it sounds parasitic, but he's feeding somewhat off of my emotions, off the highs and the lows, because he is so baseline and he can't get the thrill and he can't get the movement that you really need to move forward and be motivated in life. And so he feeds off of my emotions and it sounds parasitic, but it's really actually beneficial to me because I have so many, so much emotion and so many big emotions that it helps to calm them down. But the problem, and that's why I call these spirits malevolent, is they don't just want to feed off the emotion. They want to encourage the emotion to feed off of it. So it's not enough that I'm bleeding emotion. Now they want more and more and more. And so they try to push the boundaries or create incidents or move things or threaten things to encourage responses out of me to get bigger and bigger and bigger emotions. And it is kind of in a way, whole childhood thing is like, what'd you say about my mama? And you try to step in with logic and be like, they don't even know your mama. And I get that they don't know my mama, you know, figuratively speaking. But at the same point, they're in my house trying to start shit. So it's one thing if we're on the playground and you try to say something about my mama and I can choose not to listen. But when you break into my house to say shit about my mom, it's no longer that you're saying shit about my mom. It's that you fucking broke into my house, man. Why are you trying to start shit in my house? Yeah. So not even like I'm trying to give them what they want, but it's like, dude, okay, that is a violation. Regardless of whether or not you know my mother, that is not the point anymore. It's just so interesting that we've had very different experiences and it does make me wonder like all of the underlying reasons for why that might be. Cause yeah, I just have not, I've not had, I've not really had to go to war with things. They don't usually fuck with me to that degree. They're curious about me. They'll hang around. Even the, the malevolent being that I was just talking about just a little bit while ago that that woman in like all white with the blonde hair and the fucked up teeth. She hung around. She liked going for what I would refer to as the cheap scares. That's why she liked to show up when I was asleep. Like I would wake up and she would just like be there, like smiling at me. And I'm like, God damn it. Like that is like the kind of stuff that I have had with these types of things. I, that is one of the things I actually forbid when I go into a place, especially if I move into a place where there's something there. I'm like, I don't care if you're here. You just don't fuck with me. And specifically no cheap scares. This is a, a one strike you're out rule. If I wake up and you're standing over me, I'm getting rid of you. That's not that's not cool. Don't go for the cheap scares. Don't try to startle me. That's some bullshit. Don't fuck around with me like that. But that's the extent of it. It's just poking at me to be like, oh, I wonder what happens if I poke this button. But it's not. I'm gonna come in and insult you and your family and then murder your children. It's not. It's not like that kind of confrontation. And it might. It might also just be partially our interpretation of the events. Be because I have been used to such a degree. I could feel a lot more threatened by the same thing. So them poking you with a cheap scare may feel just fucking annoying and stop it to you. Whereas to me, I'm like, this is a real threat because of my history. Yeah. So it, it's it's really hard to say on that. But yeah, I, I don't like them. I don't tolerate yeah. them. And luckily, I will say I've never had to go to war, quote unquote. I'm not going to claim that. I'm not going to claim to be a warrior in this world. Okay, I'm not putting that in the universe for one for anybody to come, you know, gunning me down like a showdown in the Wild West. I'm not doing that. <laughs> and two, I, I haven't. It's mostly, I found, been a lot of fronting. It's very much, they puff their feathers, I puff mine. They puff their tail, I raise my hackles. And it's very, like, who's the biggest, <laughs> baddest boy on the block, for the most part. Luckily, I'm going to say that. It's... 
It's a lot of come at me, bro. It is. It's, it literally feels like the spiritual equivalent of fronting where we're both throwing our shoulders forward. Like, yeah, what you got? What you got? Yeah, hold me back. I mean, that's, yeah. it feels a lot like that. It really does, which makes it feel that much more ridiculous when you try to explain it and talk to people about it because you just sound like an idiot is what you sound like. Yeah. It's like anytime somebody talks about something like that or like bowing up in the come at me bro type thing, I always think of that part from Christopher Titus's uh, Norman Rockwell is bleeding where he talks about like the rite of passage where he went to have a fight with his dad. He's like, man, I'm going to put up with your shit. He's like all bowed up, his hands behind him, face forward. And he's like, by the way, not a good way to fight. Yes. <laughs> hands behind you, face forward. <laughs> just be careful just block just make sure that you block with these beings whatever they are you don't want to get a sucker punch to the face you know though not all of these spirits are really malevolent though because while i do have a lot of those that are like let's go at it bro the reality is is most of the spirits that i encounter most of the things i actually see i would actually qualify as creeper spirits they're more just things that are there that are watching. Like you said, they're kind of voyeuristic. They're not even trying to push buttons or anything. They're just watching, which which makes them creepy. Because even real life humans, when you're just watching somebody direct eye contact constantly without breaking it, it's creepy. <laughs> so much more so when it's when it's not human <laughs> or maybe it is human and used to. I don't know when it's not in physical form. I'll put it that way. I get a lot of stuff that stand near my borders or boundaries. I get a lot of stuff that's, for whatever reason, things like to hang out in my kitchen. I don't know what that's about. This kitchen, other kitchens, things just like to chill there. Weirdest one is there were creeper spirits at the Lowe's I used to work with. So I worked night shift and you would sense, yeah, you'd sense <laughs> entities. There's nobody else in the store but me and like three other stalkers. And you know how big a Lowe's is and you'd sense somebody and there's nobody there and you turn around and you see the spirit and I kind of am like, well, technically I'm supposed to help customers if they're here. Am I supposed to ask the creeper spirit what it needs to find in plumbing? Because it was just kind of weird and awkward because it's just like <laughs> watching me work. I mean, you can imagine if you worked retail and you're stalking and some customers just standing there staring at you. You kind of feel like you should stop and say, what can I help you find today, sir? But the creepiest creeper spirit was, again, Sand Springs. I keep coming back to that. The Sand Springs lady is what I call her, or the gray lady. Uh, the, the bedroom I was sleeping in, because I ended up living in the same house Ivy was living in, in the same bedroom that Ivy had been living in, you know, a few years later because I ran into bad times. And there was this lady in the living room that would just sit there on the couch nice long gray dress politely sit there like she was at church or in a waiting room and you'd get up to walk by and she would get right up in your face and just watch you uh, because it was not my house I didn't feel like I could claim the whole thing so I just claimed this little hallway that had the bedroom and then there was the opening that you go into the living room and then beyond that was the bathroom and so I just put down this salt boundary across that hallway so the living room was separated from the hallway with the bedroom and the bathroom and so every night when I got up to go to the bathroom I go from the bedroom and there she is right at the salt boundary like it's a velvet rope just staring at me just watching me like a slow tennis match walk to the bathroom and then turning her head and watching me walk back <laughs> creeper spirits they're creepy that's why I call them a creeper they're just creeping but that's that's the majority of what I've encountered 
Yeah, and Autumn and I did not know this before we started making the notes for this episode, but both of us experienced that same person in that same area of the house. Because when I lived in that house, I also was around that, that the Sand Springs lady, as Autumn calls her. But because for the most part, I'm cool with coexisting. I didn't, I didn't even bother putting down a salt boundary. So it's probably for the best that you did because that one had no sense of personal space whatsoever. Because for for me, if I would come out of my room, so that part of the, the house, like the energy was weird in that part of the house anyway. And by that, I mean like the actual just energy. I'm not talking about spirit. I'm just talking about energy. And I think it's because everything got clogged up in that area. Most of the house is open floor, open floor plan, big, open, nice, airy, that sort of thing. But this area of the house just tucked in the back corner were three bedrooms and a bathroom with a little hallway thing that led from the living room into this, this space where all the bedrooms were. And yeah, she would hang out in the living room and you would come out of the room, come out of the bedroom, and she would come right up to you. And for Autumn, it was like the velvet rope. But for me, it was not that because I would come out of my bedroom and she would immediately come up and she'd like inches from my face she was yeah right so you know it's like those people that when you are having a conversation with them and they don't understand personal space the close talkers it was like that but she wouldn't say anything she'd just get right in your face and just watch you eventually i didn't have to put down a salt barrier but i was okay you can't follow me to the bathroom i need some degree of privacy i don't care the hallway in the living room fair game but you don't get to come into the bedroom, which she never tried to do anyway. She didn't have any interest in that, but she would try to follow me into the bathroom. I'd go in there to pee and she's right there leaning down, looking at me. And I'm like, okay, no, 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 you can't be in here. Just wait out in that little hallway area. And she would. And as soon as I would come out of the bathroom or as soon as I would come out of the bedroom, right in my face, inches from my face. And I was just like, oh my God, what is with you? But it, she felt like she was human at one point. And I swear, I was just, it's like, you had no social skills when you were alive, did you? You were one of those close talker people that just weirded everybody out. <laughs> so yeah, we both had experiences with, with with the lady in the gray dress at that house in Sand Springs. It's, she was a strange one. She didn't really bother me. It was just more like annoying to have her so close to me. Yep. So I put up some boundaries, but not physical ones. It was just me being like, okay. Seriously, back the fuck up. Just chill. I don't know what you're wanting that you're this close to me, but give me a little bit of breathing. You know, that's the, the thing, though, and that's why I call them creeper spirits is because they don't seem to want anything besides just watching you. They just watch you. Yeah, they do. I've had tons of experiences with these types of things, too. These ghosts or spirits or energy or whatever you want to call it. But I've had tons of experiences with things like that over the course of my life, just in general, like so many of them that there's, if I tried to list them all, we'd be here all day. And sometimes I, I refer to them as creeper spirits. Sometimes I just refer to them as drifters because sometimes they're not even like paying attention to you. They're not even there to watch you. They're just in the environment and you're there too. And you're just, you know, ships passing in the night and nobody's paying any attention to the other one. But there was one in particular that I remember it was when I was living in Indiana and I was in middle school and there was this one being, this one spirit, these creepers, and this one was definitely a creeper, but he would 
I would see him around the middle school in various places. He'd be sitting at a desk in a classroom. He'd be sitting at one of the tables at lunches. He'd just be lurking in a corner by the doorway. And it was this middle-aged, overweight, balding man with big glasses. And he would just watch. And like, if I would notice him, he would notice that I was noticing him. And then he would just watch me intently and it felt very creepy. He had like pedophile vibes. I'm not kidding. Like he had pedophile vibes. And I would try not to notice him because anytime that I would have eye contact with him, then he would focus all of his attention on me and he would just sit there and stare at me all through class and just have this weird spirit version of a middle-aged chubby dude who's balding and big glasses, just like staring at me through class. I'm like this is, this is not helping my math grades. This is not helping at all. I feel a different kind of pressure now and I don't like it. So we talked about feeling things and we talked about seeing things. I think I want to switch up and talk about experiencing things. We weren't really sure how to term it, but it's almost another form of reality. It's an interactive experience. So you see these things and they kind of interact with you a little bit. But now there's things where you actually are completely interacting and part of the environment. The divorce memory, if you're interested in, definitely listen to our split memories episode to get the full rundown of that. That was one felt like we slipped into a completely alternate reality. Another one, which is just really, really weird for me and probably the most specific alternate reality, if you want to call it that, My boyfriend and I, we were trying to find land out here in Montana. And so we were driving all across the state of Montana, all the way out to Mile City and back. And there's not a lot of roads in Montana. So, you know, you're on one main road for a long time. And on one of these main roads, there was this crazy amount of construction. And it was crazy because they had completely obliterated the road. There was a mound of dirt, at least a story high, all the way on the right. It felt like it went on forever. I don't know how long it went on because you were going maybe 20 miles an hour because it was the equivalent of a rutted dirt road where this highway should have been and had to at least been two to five miles. They had just torn the whole section out and there were all these large equipment parked all over the place, just this huge thing. But it was 4th of July weekend, so nobody was around and it's eastern Montana, so nobody was around. The entire time we saw one other vehicle and it was just weird, right? Well... This year, we went on that same route for different reason, and there was no sign of any of that construction. There's no way that that road had been new within that time. There is no indication of torn up dirt. The landscape looks like the landscape has always looked out here, and it just apparently didn't exist. So apparently, Jake and I were just having either a shared delusion or driving through ghost construction in an alternate reality. I don't know. Even when we were doing it, the thing felt weird because this is not how people do construction. You you tear up a little bit of the road and fix it and, and you do this. You don't go and tear out two to five miles of area and pile up 10 feet of dirt on the side of the roads. You just don't do that. <laughs> and that's what had happened. Yeah, it was really disconcerting when we went back out there because we were just like, okay, it's kind of weird. Maybe it's what they do when there's nobody around. Yeah, there's no no way it could have happened. I've had some pretty freaky experiences that I interpreted as alternate reality type situations. The earliest one that I can remember, I was a kid, we were still 
living at home with both of our parents. So it was before they got divorced. I don't know. I probably was, I probably would have been like maybe nine years old, something like that. We had 10 acres of property. I had walked that property so many times. I spent a lot of time in the woods as a child on our property. There was not a single part of our property that I did not fucking know. And I was going for a walk in the woods and I came across this area in our property that I had been to so many times, but all of a sudden there was a house on our property in this area that I had walked by tons of times before. Full on house. It looked like it had been there for a long time. It was kind of cottage style, like a two story cottage style house. There was smoke coming out of the chimney, no driveway because it's in the middle of the woods. There's no driveway, there's no vehicles, but it looks like this house is inhabited, looks in fairly good condition. And it looks like somebody's in there. I came across that house and I froze because not only should this house not have been there, but I got such a sick feeling in the pit of my stomach that I can't really explain. I was so scared that whatever was in that house was going to come out and try to lure me into the house or interact with me in some way that was not going to be safe. So I ran. And then a few weeks after that, I was trying to confront my fears and I was like, okay, I'm going to go back out there because there's there's no way that that's real, right? Like there's no way that the house could be there. That's not a thing that could exist. It's our property. This house is in the middle of the woods. There's no driveway. There's no way to get to it other than on foot. There's no way that my parents would let somebody build a house there. And that thing looked like it'd been there for a long time. I went back to that exact same spot that I'd been to so many times before. And what do you know? There's no house. When I came across that house, it was tangible. I saw it with my eyes. I could smell the smoke from the chimney. It was a very real sensory experience. And it was in a spot that it should not have been. And I only saw it that one time and then it was gone. And I just kind of shoved that into the back of my mind. And then much later as an adult, I had an experience that that actually made me question reality because this time when I experienced this, I wasn't alone. So I was with my friend, the one that I had mentioned before. Uh, we worked as massage therapists together and we would get off work. It was like nine o'clock at night. We'd go get some food together. And then it was pretty common for us to just drive around for hours and talk and hang out. And we were doing that one night. We were driving through a part of Tulsa that we had driven through tons of times before, part of town we were very familiar with. And we're just driving around. Casey's starting to get kind of sleepy. I was driving. We weren't really talking at that point because we were both kind of tired. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, both of us at the exact same time, started freaking out and screaming. We're both disoriented and we look off to the, the right-hand side of the road and there's an empty field, an empty dark field. And we see a, it was like a tall, lanky, muscular black man wearing shorts and a and like a white tank top, no shoes. And he was running and he kept looking behind him. He was running like he was scared for his life. So we're, we drive past and then we, as we start to kind of like calm down, we're like, oh shit, maybe he actually needs help. So we loop back around to go see if we can find him and help him. And when we drive past that exact same spot, not only do we not see him, but we also can't find that fucking field. It did not exist. There were businesses there. They had been there for 
quite some time. There was a strip mall, a gas station where this field that we had just seen was. When we got back to my apartment and we were talking about it, the catalyst for that moment, the reason why each of us started screaming out of nowhere is that we felt like a roller coaster. We were just going along totally fine. And all of a sudden it was just this intense drop that we felt very physically. Even, you know, like that that feeling in your stomach that happens when you make a sudden drop. Both of us got that really intensely at the same time, even though there was no drop in the road. There wasn't, we weren't even on a hill. It was still flat road, but we both got that physical sensation at the same time. And then we saw what we saw. And then when we went back, it was not there. After experiencing that, it really made me question. I'm like, is there such a thing as alternate realities? Is it possible that there are fault lines or holes somewhere in reality and you can slip into another one for a while and then like come back? I, I don't know, but that was that was one of the experiences that really made me start questioning if it's possible that there are alternate realities and we occasionally fall through some sort of fault line into a different one. Also, not necessarily alternate reality, but on the level of experiencing things, death, when death is nigh, when death is coming, I feel like it, you know, to use a cliched phrase, like it opens doors. There's been a couple deaths within the past few years. One of them was my dog. Another one was my cat. And they were lengthy deaths with my dog. Luckily, it only lasted about a month. But during that month that she was dying, there was so much more stuff present. And the boundaries were not respected at all. There was one point at which I was going to bed and I sleep on my side. My hand was there. Something grabbed my hand just to hold my hand. And I was like, I, I don't know you whoever you are. I don't want you to hold my hand, especially while I'm sleeping. And it was really creepy. And there's not a lot that can be done because it felt like that doorway was open and you can't kick things out when the door is open. Unfortunately, with my cat, when she died, that was a that was almost a year and a half, a two-year death that she was on her way down and then up and then down and up. She was on death's doorstep multiple times. And I feel like that opened so much into my household. There were, like I said, so many more creeper spirits around, stuff that shouldn't be there, voices just out of the corner of your ear, seeing things out of the corner of your eye. Just all the creepy, haunted stuff they try to play up in the beginning of the horror movies. I mean, that's what my house felt like for so long during that that time of death. It is a common theory that when somebody is about to die, they, they say the veil gets thinner. And that's supposed to be like the veil or the wall or whatever that separates this side from the other side, whatever that means. So if that is a thing and that is true, it would stand to reason that you, there would be more activity during a period of time when somebody is on death's door and you would have more paranormal kinds of experiences. The only thing that I had that was even remotely similar to that, and I didn't, I didn't to think of it at the time that it happened. I didn't think it was connected to death or whatever. And I still don't know, but it, it is something that's weird. So it was the night before our mom died. I was in my apartment. I was 
listening to NPR and painting. I was doing watercolor paintings at the time, and I was doing a lot of paintings that had to do with my trauma and family stuff and being a woman and motherhood and all of this kind of, all of these kinds of things that I was trying to process. So I was in the middle of painting and back behind me was my, what I call my altar that has a lot of my spiritual things on it and, you know, like little statues of deities and sage bundles and candles and all kinds of things like that. And I had lit a couple of candles. And as I'm sitting there, I have the sense that something is wrong behind me. And I turn around and one of the candles that I had lit, it was one of like those big pillar candles the entire pool of wax on top had burst into flames and it was about to set my fucking apartment on fire. The flame was so big that it had gone up and it was starting to spread out and it actually singed the wall a bit before I was able to put it out. And I'd never had that happen before. Is it possible that that was just a coincidence and it was an accident or it was a faulty candle? Yeah, I'm sure that it was, but I've never had that happen before. I've never had a candle, like one of those big pillar candles or any kind of candle. I've never had an entire pool of wax from a candle go up in flames like that. It was literally the night before mom died and I didn't think anything about it other than like, shit, I almost caught my apartment on fire. There goes my deposit. And then mom died. And since then, I can't help but wonder if that was some kind of warning from the universe that something was about to happen, something significant that was going to impact me for the rest of my life. Something was going to happen. I mean, it was a black candle too, which I don't know. Like I personally kind of believe in color symbolism and things like that. Black is often associated with, you know, death and transformation and things like that. So that was another layer of it to me once we found out that mom had died because it was just, it was just so weird. I've never had anything like that happen before. And I didn't even smell anything burning. I didn't see the flame because it was directly behind me. It was a little ways behind me. So I didn't, I didn't know. I just all of a sudden had a sense that something wasn't right. And I turned around and I saw the big flame and it was starting to singe the wall. And I rushed over and I put it out. But I'll always wonder if that was some kind of warning from the universe that my mom was about to was about to pass away. Speaking of mom, I think that brings us to our next category, and that's going to be feelings of protection, benevolent beings, um, senses of comfort, because those are also experiences we've had. I mean, we've talked about creepers and weird stuff and stuff being off or wrong, but sometimes stuff feels right. I know I've had times where I felt close to our mother after she's passed. And Ivy and I have both talked a little bit about it and the way she describes, you know, this particular thing or the way I say it. She's like, yeah, that's what she looks like or that's what she is now. And I mean, it's possible we're creating a joint reality and a joint narrative as we're speaking it, but it feels like in my head that I knew this before she was going to say it. And it's kind of weird because they're not things that we would have attributed to our mother beforehand. Like the word mischievous was not something I would have attributed to my mom during, you know, when I knew her. And yet Ivy and I were discussing her the other day and her spirit. And Ivy was like, yeah, she's so much more mischievous. And I'm like, yes, 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 that, that is what she is. Even to the point that, and I know this is, again, is going to sound ridiculous, but I feel like she was trying to give me a message just a few weeks ago. I'm not that connected with this stuff, so it's hard for me to communicate and pick up 
on things, especially since I'm so cut off from my intuition. But I was sitting here and my chair continued to sink down and continued to sink down and continued to sink down. And I'd raise it back up and I'm like, okay, it's fine. And then all of a sudden I'd be down again and not even notice it. And it was really kind of weird, but I thought, okay, maybe my dog was walking by and hitting the little lever because he was moving around. And so I was paying close attention. He got up and went to walk toward the window. And we have windows at the at the floor so the dog can look out. And there's a curtain rod. And this curtain rod falls down a lot, but it falls directly down. And as my dog is walking toward the window, the curtain rod falls out. And these are not open windows. They're just glass. So there's no breeze. This curtain rod rotates out 90 degrees and drops. And I'm just like, that's okay. That's, that's all right, then that's weird. My dog saw it and was like, I'm not going to lay over there and just went and laid somewhere else in the house. And then later there were a couple articles of clothing that I had placed somewhere and then they were on the floor. And there's no way they could have gotten on the floor because both the dogs are napping. Nobody in the house is moving. Nothing has changed and all of a sudden stuff's on the floor. And it felt like a message from my mom. I've had plenty of experiences like that too. I feel closer to our mom now than I did when she was alive. After she passed, the first time that I I felt her after she passed, I think it was it was maybe a week after we had found out. So I was still grieving pretty intensely. I was at the park and I was trying to write her eulogy and oh, I'm going to tear up a little bit here because it was, it felt so real to me in that moment. And it brought me so much comfort. I was just laying there on this blanket. I was trying to write her eulogy and I was crying and I was just, I, I missed her, but I also just felt so much guilt and remorse that there wasn't more that I could have done to have made her life better because she spent so many years in just such intense pain. And as I'm laying there, I'm looking at across this uh, it's kind of field. It's got all these little lawn daisies and dandelions. Dandelions are my mom's favorite flower. And I see this beautiful young woman who is walking across the field. And the more that I look at her, the more I realize that that's what my mom looked like when she was younger. And when I made it, when I like came to that realization that she looked so much like the pictures of my mom from when she was in her twenties, as soon as I made that realization, this young woman's head turned and she looked at me and I realized that, oh shit, this is my mom. And I burst into tears as she, she came and she sat with me for a while. I don't know how long it felt like quite a while. It felt like I was in this bubble with my mom. And she just sat there on the blanket with me. And she was like, honey, I'm not in pain anymore. You don't need to feel these feelings as heavy as I'm happy. I don't have any burdens on me anymore. I feel so free and I feel so good. I've felt so close to my mom since then. I still, I still see her on a, on a pretty regular basis. I still hear her voice a lot. I still feel her presence a lot. It, it, I feel so much closer to my mom now. I feel more like she's my mom than I ever did when she was alive. Before we just turn into a massive piling of tears here, let us shift into the the last section of today's episode. And that is where we talk about 
whether or not we think these things are real or what we think is driving them. So let's go ahead and start back at the beginning where we started this at with possession. Um, honestly, I'm really on the fence with possession. I feel like possession, the, the, the possibility of that really happens when a person is really far gone, when they're having psychotic breaks, when they're on so much drugs and alcohol that they are completely checked out and out of, out of their mind. And I think that's when it's possible. And I think that's also when a lot of other mental health symptoms are possible, such as having psychotic breaks and acting in ways that are very differently. So I'm, I am open to the possibility that possession is possible, but I don't know that I've buy into it at this point 100% and it's not a hill I would die on and say yes this is for real where are you at with possession Ivy I'm really on the fence with it too because looking back at the situation with mom when I was a kid I could see there were multiple things going on there one I was afraid of mom it was a very isolated environment as well our family was very isolated from everybody else and my world was quite small there was the religious aspect as well, since we were raised Mormon. There were a lot of things that were going on there. So I am on the fence about whether or not mom was possessed. Do I believe in the possibility of possession? Yes, I do. I, I still think it's possible mom may have been possessed. Not all the time, but that things could come and go from her because of her substance use, because of her depression, because she was a lot of times an empty vessel. I, I do believe that it's a possibility. I am on the fence about whether or not that's real. That's two votes for on the fence, but definitely possible for possession for me and Ivy. The next one we were talking about is creepy areas or haunted houses, however you want to term that. I'm going to go with real on that one. I'm going to say I definitely, I believe in that. The best reason I can give for my belief in it is... I've had these experiences in multiple places with multiple different people in so many different areas of my life where I've been under trauma or I've been completely fine or it seems benign or it. there's just so many circumstances and contextual things that have changed, yet I continue to experience those feelings and they're very similar across the context, even though the contexts are so different. And so I'm going to go with... Yeah, I think they're real, you know, because it's kind of like you see a turkey, it looks really weird. And you're like, okay, maybe I just made that up in my head. But then you see it again at the zoo and you're like, oh, yeah, maybe that's a thing. And then you see it again on somebody's land. And there's all these different contexts in which turkeys exist. And eventually you're like, okay, maybe turkeys are real. That's kind of how I feel about haunted areas or creepy areas or haunted houses is I've experienced them in a lot of different contexts. So I'm going to call that turkey real. I've never, never thought about hauntings in terms of turkeys, but that is that that is a good uh, a good one to use. I also believe the hauntings are real, but the caveat there is I don't have a strong definition of what that actually entails. Are hauntings just residual energy from the past? Are they sentient spirit beings? Is it just energy that has taken form somehow. Um, I'm not sure. Is it just trauma that gets locked into an area and that trauma takes form? I don't know, but I do believe that hauntings are a thing. 
I'm not exactly sure what they are. Could be a variety of things, but I do believe that they are real on some level. Now, the next one here, I'm very curious your take on this autumn dream stuff, like the hat man that you saw. What do you think on that? Do you feel like that was real or not? I would like to write it off as sleep paralysis and you know even though everybody's seeing the same thing we are all human so you know you glitch the right part of the brain and we're going to have the same experience it's why we all see it's why we all hear it's why we all sensory experiences because the right parts of our brain are getting glitched so it's possible if you glitch the right area we all have the same experience and so i want to write it off as that but i've had some other weird experiences with sleep maybe it's just a neurological glitch Maybe some shit's going down when I dream and I get open to other realms and things start poking their head through. I don't know. Where are you at with it, Ivy? Based on my own personal experiences, because I've, I've never experienced sleep paralysis, but I have read enough and heard enough about the studies that they've done, like the neurological studies and psychological studies and all those types of things. And I'm like, yeah, it could just, it could just be brain glitches. I, I lean a little bit more towards that than the paranormal. But again, I have not personally experienced it. Maybe I would have a different opinion if I had. I know for me, the experiences that I have had, I don't think are real. Like the one that I talked about earlier where I saw my father in the the doorway and there were snakes on the bed. I don't believe that that was real. I believe that that was me processing trauma at a very vulnerable time in my life. And that it's also possible that the hallucinations were in part because of the black mold problem in my apartment and how often I was sick in addition to all of the trauma stuff and the fact that I was living on my own for the first time, which did not feel safe. So like those sorts of things, I look at that and I'm like, that was not real. Why was I sleepwalking? Why was that door open when it should have been closed? I, again, I feel like this is some, that's something that's more of a, a brain thing going on there. All of the stuff that I've experienced, when I, when I look at it, even though I see certain things like in my dreams or I've experienced certain things, like I could attribute this to the paranormal, but how I tend to process things and that I don't deal very well with emotions on the surface. Like I think for me, at least a lot of the stuff that I experience with sleep and dreams is not paranormal. I don't think there's anything supernatural going on there. I think it's just my brain trying to make sense of everything and trying to process things, but I'm not going to speak for all people because I've not experienced those things. So I, I can't really speak to it aside from just hearing other people's stories and hearing some of the science. So I, I lean towards not real, but I leave the possibility open that it could be real. And it's just not part of my experience. I, I think it is a little bit easier, honestly, to discount stuff when you haven't directly experienced, to be honest, it, especially when it comes to terror. Terror feels so real. All right. So let's go to the next one. Bodax and gremlins or whatever we want to call these things. I I'm going to go with real based on multiple instances of their existence. So I'm one of those people that if you have a whole bunch of different isolated cultures and a lot of these different isolated cultures repeat a similar event, there's probably a good chance it happened, that something happened. And it may not have been that exact thing, but something. And I think Bodox and Gremlins are there enough in so many different cultures, in so many different ways, in so many different stories, with so many similar overlaps. It kind of gives me evidence that something is happening. 
And the likelihood that it is a glitch in the brain seems a little off because the experiences of them are so different that it I'm, I'm not sure how that would work. The sleep stuff, if it's a brain glitch, okay, you're all in the same setting. You're all going through the same human experience. But gremlins or bodax or whatever you want to term them, so many different contexts, yet so much overlap between people and so much readily acceptance of something so weird and unique and wrong based on what our experiences are. So I'm going to go with real on Bodox Gremlins. Ivy? Yeah, I'm also going to go with real. And I don't really have anything else to contribute on that because I, I feel like my reasons for believing in it are also the same as yours. I, I think it's just too, it's it's too common across too many cultures over too long of a period of time for it to be fake to me. I joke about not believing in Bigfoot or Sasquatch and stuff like that too, but I think it's definitely possible that those things exist because so many people around the world for generations have seen those things. And I feel like the Bodex and like gremlins, like that sort of thing, I think that kind of like fits into that same thing. So yeah, I, I am of the state of mind that it is real. The next one is malevolent beings. Where do you stand on that one? Malevolent beings as well as creepers. And I'm going to put these two together because to me, both of these are spirits. I'm going to say they're real. And the reason I'm going with real on these is because I have this thing where I cannot visualize things in my head. If you ask me to see a red square in my head, I have to stop everything I'm doing, block out all sensory input and completely focus on seeing a red square because I cannot visualize in my head. But when I see these malevolent spirits, when I see these creeper spirits, I see them, but I don't see them physically. I don't see them in reality standing there. I see them in my mind's eye and I see them with detail. And that is the only thing in my life I have ever seen with detail. I do not have the capacity to create visual detail in my mind. Yet when I see them, I can see the creases in their dress, the expression on their face, the pallor of their skin, the, the body language. I see all of it. And to me, that's beyond my capacity of imagination. It's not something I can do. So the fact that I can see these makes me think they've got to be real because I don't know how the fuck I would imagine that and only that and completely be unable to see absolutely anything else in my head. What about you, Ivy? I'm going to go with real, mostly just because I believe in energy and I believe energy can take form. I believe there's a lot of things we don't understand about energy in the universe. And, and I think that in the universe, like everything has duality. So I do believe that for every bit of energy that gets positively charged, there's going to be some that's more negative. So, and, and I do feel that balance and equilibrium exists in the universe. So you have to have a certain degree of light and dark to balance things out. So yeah, I do believe in malevolent beings, whether or not they're sentient, that part, I don't necessarily know, but I believe at the very least they exist as residual energy that we are sometimes able to witness or connect to. Do I believe 
all of the experiences that I have had with the drifter creeper experiences, like on a personal level, I don't trust all of them. Some of them I do, some of them I don't. And there's a variety of different reasons for why, but do I believe that they exist at all? Yes, I do. Do I believe that malevolent beings exist, whether they were human at one point or not? Yes, I do. And, and I do agree with you. Even though I do believe in these things, like the experiences I've had, some of them I do believe in, some of them I don't. So sometimes I believe in the concept, but I don't necessarily trust in the experience. So I'm there with Ivy on that. Um, the next thing we talked about was those alternate realities where you're essentially slipping through into a wormhole or a different place. I'm going to say, honestly, I'm on the fence with these. I just, I don't know. And my biggest thing with this is memory because all of these experiences that I've had are really based on these vague memories. And so I'm just like, I don't know, I don't trust memory. And so I have a hard time trusting the alternate realities. But then again, I mean, I've been through them and it was weird even in there, but I don't know. I'm just on the fence with alternate realities and wormholes. Ivy? This one for me is real because I've just had too many experiences. I feel the way about alternate realities that some other people feel about extraterrestrials and having been abducted and losing time and shit like that. I feel like I have a similar feel when it comes to alternate realities, because I've just had so many experiences that I have really felt in very tangible, very visceral, very sensory oriented ways. And these are the most real experiences that I have had. And I've had them even from like a young age, not, not always necessarily in the same ways, but like even from a very, very young age, I had almost constant experiences of deja vu. I still get them sometimes as an adult, but when I was little, it was like all the fucking time. Something would happen and I would be like, no, this has happened before. And I'm just living it again. Now as an adult, looking back on that after the other experiences that I've had with alternate realities, I've often thought were some of those deja vu experiences, me kind of seeing an overlap in realities where something did already happen. Again, I know that makes me sound insane, but like the thing that I experienced with Casey at the exact same time, we both panicked. We both saw the exact same thing. I can't explain that in any other way. How was a field gone and buildings there instead? How did we both have the exact same reaction at the exact same moment? It wasn't that one of us started screaming and the other one started. It was, we both did it simultaneously, exact same moment. And then we saw the exact same thing and then it was just not there. And then that house in the woods, there is that part of me that's like, maybe you were just imagining it, but it was so real in that moment. Like I said before, like I could smell the smoke from the chimney. I saw it with my eyes. I heard things coming from that house. I don't know how else to explain that. And because these things were so real to me and they, there was so much sensory input involved in it, and because I got that validation from that experience that I had with Casey, I don't know how else to explain it. So to me, that's that's a real that that's real to me. The problem I have with believing in alternate realities is that I struggle with believing in reality. Period. <laughs> and and part of me wonders is if it's because I'm being gaslighted by alternate realities. Okay, so so a great example of this is I have a pickup truck. And in order to release the key from the pickup truck, there is a button that you have to push behind this key so the key can come out. Okay. 
I had been driving that truck for two years. I went to pull the key out. I could not get it out. I could not figure out why. I about had a mental breakdown because I thought I was stuck and I could not get it out. I call up Jake and he's like, well, did you press the button? And I'm like, what button? In my mind, for two years, there had been no button behind that key. And now all of a sudden in this car, there's a button I have to press. And that shit happens to me all the time. Little tiny details of things that shouldn't be there or should there that all of a sudden are that everybody's like, oh, yeah, they're there. They've always been there. And Jake was like, yeah, that button's always been there. In my reality for two years, that button had never existed. And now all of a sudden it does. And so I have a difficult time knowing whether I'm insane and not paying attention or whether reality is shifting. So I have a a difficult time believing in alternate realities because I have a difficult time believing in reality at all. I think you've chosen not to be gaslighted either by society or alternate realities, one or the other. And I feel like I'm still being gaslighted by both. And I'm just like, okay, must be me. I'm insane. It's it's probably probably my Aquarian nature. It's, it's, it would be much like an Aquarius to be like, shit, yeah, it's all happening at the same time. There is no such thing as reality. We're all just floating through space. (laughs) Then it might be my autistic nature pulling me the other way, but like, no, there should be boundaries. There needs to be a rigid boundary. There's no, you can't just change reality. Well, apparently you can. <laughs> Let's look at uh, the doors of death. I am really on the fence with this one. And I'm on the fence with this one because I have I have significant issues with death. I am not okay with death. I am pissed off by death. Death is not fair. I get logically that it's all part of the cycle of life. And I say, fuck that. It's fucking stupid. And I don't like it. Death generally, sure, I'm fine with. Death personally is traumatic to me in any form. Because of that, I can't speak to the reality of the veil being thinner near death because every time I've experienced it, I've known death was coming and I am in a traumatic, mentally unstable spot. What about you, Ivy? I am of the state of mind that in order for me to even be consistent with my beliefs on so many of these other things, yeah, I I do believe that there's these doors of death because I, I believe in alternate realities. And I think the other side of the veil, wherever we go after we die, is just a continuation on that theme of alternate realities. If heaven exists or if hell exists or whatever, like I think of those as being alternate realities too. So for me, it's just consistent with my beliefs across the board to be like, yeah, I'm sure there probably is a veil or a door or whatever. And when somebody dies and they're getting ready to move on to whatever it is that's next, then yeah, there probably is a door that kind of opens and there's more activity around that and you see more things and you experience more things in that environment that that person is in because they are on the precipice of entering into whatever it is that comes after this. Because I am I am not a religious person, but I, I do believe that we go on somehow, whether we reincarnate or we move on to something else. I believe that that, that exists. So it would stand to reason if that does exist that there would be these doors that open and close. And if you're standing too close to that door, you're going to be experiencing more things. The spiritual draft, so to speak, from an open door or an open window. I could see that. Exactly. I'll let you speak first to the benevolent spirits or the feelings of spiritual comfort. What are your thoughts on those, Ivy? This is one that a lot of people probably aren't going to like hearing, but I do believe that those are real. And my logic for that is because I want to believe that they are real. 
So is it possible that I am completely delusional about these experiences that I've had like with my mom? It's possible, but I'm choosing to believe that it is real because it feels real to me. And honestly, even if it's not real, I don't want to fucking know. I don't want to know if it's not real because it's meant so much to me and it's helped me heal so much and it's helped me process through so much trauma and helped me feel supported and loved. I don't care if it's not real because it's real to me and I'm going to choose to believe in it because it makes my life better and it allows me to heal in ways and feel closer to my mom and to feel like I have more guidance in life from my spirit guides and to be able to trust the universe and trust the process of things and trust the cycles of life and be able to move through life easier and with more hope and optimism. So do I believe it's real? I absolutely do. Do I have a solid, logical reason for that? No, I do not. And I don't care because I want it to be real and therefore it is real to me. And I don't want to hear it from you if you disagree, because it's none of your fucking business. You know, honestly, I, I feel the exact same way with this. I'm a really big believer that the reason we believe in religion or the reason we believe in spirituality or the reason we believe in pretty much anything is because it brings us comfort to do so. On some level, we get comfort from that belief. And so I logically create my belief system based on what brings me comfort. And this brings me comfort. And so I'm going to choose to believe it because my life without it is a lot more frightening. My life without the support is a lot more lonely. It's a lot more chaotic. It's a lot more existential crisis that I'm capable or willing to deal with. So I will choose to believe it because it makes me more functional to believe it. It makes me feel safer and it makes me feel loved, all of which I think are really good benefits for my mental health and my ability to help others. <laughs> so I'm on the same place with Ivy when it comes to comfort benevolence. And we would honestly love to hear from you on what you think on any of these possessions, haunted areas, dreams, gremlins, malevolent or creeper spirits, alternative realities, doors of death, or benevolent spirits. What do you think? Do you think they're real? Do you think they're a sign of mental illness? If you think they're real, why do you think it is that so many people with mental health struggles perceive them or are open to them? And so many people that don't have mental health struggles or are quote unquote mentally healthy do not experience these. What are your thoughts? We want to hear from you on that journal. Contact us in one of our many contacty ways, which Ivy will give you all of our contacty ways. Oh, you changed it. It used to be connecty bits. Um, even if you had uh, to add to tack onto Autumn's note there, even if you have had paranormal experiences that don't have anything to do with the ones that we've talked about today, if you had extraterrestrial experiences, uh, experiences with cryptids, near death experiences, anything like that, write in, tell us. Like, we are super interested to hear your stories and to hear your opinions on whether or not it's real and where you think it's stemming from and all that fun stuff. So, yeah, definitely reach out to us. Let us know. You can find us at our website, www.differentfunctional.com. There's a contact form on there where you can reach us. You can email us directly at differentfunctional at gmail.com. We are on Facebook as Different Functional. We are on Instagram and TikTok as different underscore functional. I think that's all of it. 
Or if Autumn wants to beg again, you can also find us on our Patreon. On our Patreon, I promised she would beg again at the they end. Do. Yes, so. do please support us on Go Patreon. No, we do. We love doing this, and it is it is another full time to part time job. I mean, depending on the week, sometimes we put anywhere between. I think this week I've put almost 20 hours into different stuff in all honesty. So it it would be awesome to get a little support out there. But we understand too, because I, oops, yeah, sorry, Ivy. No, I, I was, I think I was about to say the same thing that you were, is that we understand that if you can't financially contribute, we, we get that because we are also too poor girls. Yes. So yes. <laughs> we get it. So if you can't, if you can support us financially, or you just don't want to, but you still like us, it would be awesome if you could at least help us get some exposure. So subscribe, follow, comment, like, tell your friends about us, post something on Reddit, scream it from the rooftops. It doesn't matter. Just like help us get our name out there. Because the more followers that we get, the more likely we are at some point at least to be able to monetize, even if we don't get a ton of people on Patreon, which would help us out a lot in being able to improve the quality of the podcast and keep this going for quite some time. So yes, even if you can't financially contribute, there are other ways. If you like us, just tell people about us, please. (laughs) Talk about us. I wasn't supposed to beg. Autumn was supposed to beg. God damn well, it. You were begging, begging and I just sounded like demanding. You were like, you could do this if you would, please. And I'm like, do it. Just do it. So anyway, <laughs> but yeah, um, aside from your support or not support of us, uh, we do definitely want to hear from you on your thoughts because I, I, I love this stuff and I am fascinated by the paranormal and I'm definitely fascinated by that intersection between paranormal and mental health. So I would love to hear from you on this. So definitely give us give us a shout out and give us your thoughts. And I think for today, we will go ahead and wrap up. As always, remember, different does not mean defective.